this Friday. Your favorite emotions are back on the big screen in Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. It's time to greet your Team Riley. It's anger. Let me at him. Fear. Safety checklist is complete. Disgust. Ew, ew. Ugh. Sadness is in the house. Oh, no. Hello, I'm Anxiety. I'm one of Riley's new emotions. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. There's a part two? We're going. Ready PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only theaters Friday. Get tickets now. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Before we continue, one of the ways we keep all of our content for you, the listener, free of charge is our amazing sponsors, and today, Anchor is one of those sponsors. If you haven't heard about Anchor, it's the easiest way to make a podcast. Let me explain. It's free, there's creation tools that allow you to record and edit your podcasts right from your phone or computer. Anchor's going to distribute your podcast for you, so it can be heard on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and everywhere podcasts are listened to, and you can even make money from your podcast with no minimum listenership. It's everything you need to make a podcast in one place. Download the free Anchor app or go to anchor.com. FM to get started. When Eric's away, the panel will play. You listen to them talk Great American Bash 97. Now hang out with us on After 83 Weeks with Christy Olson. That's me. I'm Maria Menunos, and you're tuned in to AfterBuzz TV, the ESPN of TV talk. Now, let the buzz begin. Hey, hello, 83 Weeks fans. So good to hear that AfterBuzz intro once again. Welcome to the show that is just for you if you love 83 Weeks with Eric Bischoff. Welcome. Oh, got to turn that down. There we go. (laughs) Welcome. I am, of course, Christy Olsen. And joining me today, as always, a couple of my favorite guys in the whole wide world, independent wrestler and the encyclopedia of professional wrestling, George Hermosa. I still, is it still happening? I just turned you guys down and not the thing. Oh, the thing, Steve. We are messing this up. No, we were doing a bit. We were doing a bit oh. where we, we were trying to act like whoever you were explaining is the other one. Yeah, I was going to say, Steve, I didn't know you became a wrestler. <laughs> wow, a, we're, we're off to a mildly and, messy start here. And, it's, and, it's, and it's funny because I just, started, I just started a couple YouTube channels myself. Well, that, I read that would confuse things. I didn't start <laughs> wrestling. The thousand it square would. foot apartment. It would because this guy is Eric's digital producer, Steve Kaufman. Hi, Steve. Hello, I also just started three youtube channels i can't give you the links yet but i did i'm, I'm into right, some weird i'm gonna stay tuned for all of that there's some weirdness right now content idea no, it's a whole cool. thing i like this i like how we are highlighting how difficult it is for us all to come together via zoom <laughs> in the same place and talk the latest episode of 83 weeks which of course is covering the great american bash 97 uh we had a great american bash 2020 happening this week as well i want to talk to everybody who's joined us in the live chat a little bit about aew versus nxt in the wednesday night wars so let's check in with everybody there how are you doing michael Mackey, the midnight podcast everybody is starting to join up. We do this live on Thursdays on the 83 Weeks channel at 5 p.m. Pacific. So make sure you come and hang out with us because 
Usually, we have a very special guest, the man of our hour, every hour. Eric Bischoff joins us live to answer your questions. As you guys know, he is a big fan of the 4th of July, throws a huge shindig at his house every year, lots of family flying in, and so that is what Eric is up to this week, but he will be back next week, so make sure you save your questions. I know you have a ton of them, George. <laughs> Always. And comments. Always. Save those for Eric and you guys can all harass him with those next week. In the meantime, there is a plenty to talk about on this episode. Guys, the Great American Bash, them covering it the last few weeks really reminded us how important it was as a pay-per-view. I, I agree. This is always one of my favorite uh, pay-per-views. I know thinking back and trying to get into that mindset of 96, 97, uh, it kind of felt like a SummerSlam and SummerSlam more often times than not, is a pretty big deal every year. And so this is being the Great American Bash. It's got the history, it's got the nostalgia, it's got the lineage. I know they mentioned a couple of weeks, a couple of weeks ago that it was gone for a couple of years, but now, you know, in 97, it was it was a pretty big deal. Like Slamboree, I never really thought of that much as as like a big time pay-per-view. Uh Bash at the Beach kind of was. So they were just honestly, they were just knocking out of the park, which is big time events, especially in 97. I also think 97, 98, if you compare WCW's pay-per-views to WWS pay-per-views, the theming and the branding and the understanding was always there. So the great, what's the Great American Bash? It's like, well, it probably happens around July and they celebrate America and it's America things. A bash is a big party. Like you have theming from Go, whereas in 97, WWE would have run either in your house and then some vague theming or something like Backlash or some kind of Genesis song. Well, I mean, just to kind of be fair, like around this time, June was their King of the Ring pay-per-view and July, it was the In Your House Canadian Stampede. Mm. But they still, that was before they dropped the In Your House moniker. So it was yeah. still very much. Mm-hmm. And I think WWE went overboard with that in the last, like I would say five or 10 years with the Helena set. We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end, what will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Elimination Chamber. Fatal 4-Way. Six-man tag. Like, they would have... They would tell you what the match was. And I think for t- for ticket sales six months out, I think that was very wise. But it kind of hurts when you know a War Games match is just going to happen every November instead of when you need a War Games match. It's funny because I wanted to talk about that in a little bit. Maybe we're going to get to it. Uh, I know NXT. No, uh, just, just go for it, Eric's away. We can play. There's no rules. <laughs> because I, I know like the big thing, at least last night, is going to continue next week is NXT presenting the Great American Bash and AEW presenting Fighter Fest. It's cool, but I was thinking about it on my drive back from the gym today. Um, about like uh, jelly, uh, yeah. About like just like there's certain. I I I wish that WWE kind of would embrace. They they never much once mentioned COVID or Corona in this whole time. They say you know we're aware of the of the issue that's going on, but I feel like this time should be experimenting, right? Like obviously you have to have your WrestleManias, you have to have your SummerSlams, but I just don't like that these events like the great American bash is with an asterisk. Like I would have loved to see an actual great American bash. NXT presents great American bash 
on a Sunday or, or a takeover or whatever, you know? And, and the fact that it's part of programming, no game wrong. Loved it last night. I'm sure it's going to be great next week. But I would have liked it to see less of an asterisk and more of an actual event itself. And I was thinking about it because I like, I, I feel like they should be experimenting more. And like, like I just mentioned, as far as like, you don't have to have backlash, right? You don't have to have, you know, a money in the bank around this time. Like I said, you got to have a WrestleMania because it's WrestleMania. You might have to have a SummerSlam because it's, and I, I know Steve can agree. It's, a, it's, it's the big four. It's the first four. You kind of have to have those. You don't have to have a money in the bank. Experiment it. Have, have a pay-per-view itself called the horror show or the horror story, whatever it's going to be called. So it just kind of made me think about it. I'm like, I, I wish they would use this time, as you said, Steve, to kind of, I don't know if you were touching upon it, but like to experiment more. You don't have to do the, oh my God, October's coming up. We have to have Hell in a Cell. Now's the time to say, hey, we don't really have to worry about ticket sales. Let's do things that we're not normally going to do. I so think what that, I think what you're what you're overlooking, George, that this was kind of an experiment. The reason why AEW has to put on Fighter Fest is because they only have the opportunity to do a few pay-per-views a year. So they're mm-hmm. giving their audience a pay-per-view like feel on TV for free, which we can all appreciate. Then mm-hmm. in turn, NXT had to answer to that. And I think yeah. you know, NXT doing a great American bash is probably something that was concocted just a day or two before it was announced. Um, you know, they announced even after they said it was going to be a great American bash, that it would be two nights. It really seemed like WWE scrambled to put this together and that the great American bash, this famous pay-per-view kind of got mm-hmm. thrown under the bus in, in doing that. Right. I, I um, think so. I don't think they're completely devaluing the name in any, in any way. I think NXT exists on the WWE product specifically to test a concept like this, similar to how they did the most recent, not the most recent takeover, but the takeover, Tampa Bay, essentially, the takeover at WrestleMania, how they did that for two nights on regular TV. I think they're trying that because I think if it's successful, you're going to see that on Raw and SmackDown. Because every all those shows need a shot in the arms, ratings-wise, and they're trying to see what will do that. I just saw the ratings. I mean, they're good, but they're, yes. not, but they're not increasingly better than last week that you can say, oh, by slapping Great American Bash on a hot night is enough to pop a number to say next week on raw is actually no mercy. That's breaking news that actually just came out in the last hour or so. I have a report here from Mark at wrestling Inc that for the second week in a row, NXT beat AEW in numbers, in ratings, according to Chris Jericho. And this is true. AEW is still winning in that key demographic, which is the most important to advertisers um, and to the actual success, you know, to the network and everybody. That's what they're really concerned for. This, so this isn't bad news for AEW as much as it's just really good news for NXT. And it means that them using Great American Bash, does, that, does the ratings mean that it worked? I... They didn't see enough of a jump week over week to prove to me that slapping the name Great American Bash did much of anything. The beauty is they're doing two weeks of the Great American Bash. So next week might be the true indicator that people are really down for what they're selling. And I think the key difference between Fighter Fest and uh, WWE, in my opinion, is Fighter Fest was this is Fighter Fest, it's big. And then next next week will also is also Fighter Fest and it's also big. Whereas WWE held themselves back a little and they were like, "This is night one of Great American Bash. We're going to tell you what to expect from night two. And we're never going to stop." Right. That I think WWE likes to build to things more than AEW. AEW shot a shot last night. And also, too, you got to keep into consideration is 
there the the big the big draw for night two of fighter fest isn't there anymore you're not you can't promote brian cage versus john moxley anymore so maybe that's why they kind of did take a foot off the pedal a little bit in terms of hey tune in next week so i'm kind of curious i think next week might be a true indication of to see whether it's an AEW brand that is is you know got the ratings or now that essentially keith lee versus adam cole is going to be the championship match that's going to go unopposed because there's no championship match on the other channel that they can switch to and i believe that match got spoiled today with some accidental posting i don't have all the details on that so i will google that after this show yes (laughs) Uh, but one thing that i noticed and i cannot wait to ask eric about this next week of course he's not tuned in right now to wwe or aew but we can show him a picture Uh, nxt had the plexiglass up around the ring, keeping out sort of the fans. And it was really a cool feel. Um, you know, I was watching with my husband. He was like, it, it looks like hockey. You know, they can, the performers could bang on the glass and the fans could bang back. And it was kind of a cool way of, maybe it's the future of protecting fans and performers from COVID that still looks freaking cool and still feels like um, a big dangerous sporting event that you are right ringside for. I mean, they've had it on for maybe like a few weeks, but I, 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 I think it's cool. I think it's awesome. I don't see the point of it if you had, because they had it a few weeks ago. And I remember saying to myself, like, if the plexiglass is there to separate the fans from the wrestlers, then why Street Profits going in through the crowd to kind of dance? I just thought that was weird. Um, so I didn't see the purpose of that there. But if they're really going to separate. Shops, <laughs> so if they're really going to separate the talent from the fans, I'm all for it, but if they're going to sit there and have, again, Street Profits, because it's part of their entrance, go through the fans, and you know, I actually had a good friend of mine shown dancing with the Street Profits um, you know, a couple weeks ago, which, which, which we, all, we all kind of ripped them about, um, but yeah, but, but again, it, there's no point if you're going to interact them both, or I think a week ago or two ago, they had a lot of the wrestlers kind of interfere into the ring, like I thought the whole mm-hmm. point of it is to keep it separate, but it's cool, it adds some cool noise that we don't really used to seeing in, in pro wrestling. Um, I like the visual. I, I assume, I know, I have a feeling for sure by Monday, we're going to see everyone on the other side of that plexiglass wearing masks, hopefully branded masks, because why not? (laughs) So I think what WWE has been trying to do up until this point is present a product that doesn't remind us of where we are in the world. (laughs) And I think when you add plexiglass and you make all the fans wear masks, you might as well lean in further and be like, Hey guys, this is what's happening. And I don't know if they top down can change their product to fit that, which AEW, for all their faults, immediately pivoted to it's empty arena. Some people are in the crowd. They're separated. They're six feet apart. We're pre-taped. We're going to say COVID on air. But I think there, there are stark differences in how WWE is presenting a product versus how AEW is. And uh, speaking of that sloppy shop comment that Taz dropped on AEW when he was pimping out that Moxley and Brian Cage will go up against each other in two weeks instead, reportedly the dirt sheets say that that irked WWE a little bit back out under their skin. Not sure if I believe that. I think WWE has gotten a lot of bad press surrounding the way that they've handled COVID and it hasn't seemed to affect them at all. Do you think that Taz calling them a sloppy shop on national TV. Do you think they took notice of that? I don't think they cared. Because, I mean, I I saw that report too, right? And I'm like, what the hell happened in the last 12 hours for for 
like who who would have saw the reaction of WWE? Like saying like like I, I don't know. I always think that's weird, right? Like for example, and and for example, like you see the whole uh, Moxley and Renee Young thing. Like oh, they're living in separate parts of the house, or they're this or like. It's clear that who's feeding the, the info to Meltzer, right? It's not Renee, mm-hmm. but it's right. when you see like when you see like oh, WWE's upset because of the task comment from six hours ago, twelve hours ago. How do you find that out? Are you just trying to create news? Or are you just trying to, and I get it. You're running a business and everything. I completely understand. We all journalists to some extent, but like, dude, like find the real news. Like, are you, you know, I don't know things. When I see, when I see reports like that, it really upsets me just because it's like, there's so much better than things to report about. And you're going to sit there and say, oh, somebody, somebody, not who, not, not somebody, <clears throat> not somebody, uh, they didn't name anybody. Somebody's upset from WWE uh, because what Taz said. Who cares? They don't care. I texted no, a PA. I texted a PA at Full Sail, and they told me they were really upset, <laughs> and therefore they speak for the entire organization of World Wrestling Entertainment that they are upset that Taz made. Let's be honest, a very valid criticism <laughs> to a competition, like head-to-head competition. Right, and this does kind of lend into what Eric talked about. He was calling out Terry Taylor specifically this week on the show, but it does lend to uh, what they actually discussed on 83 Weeks. Before we get to that, though, I want to check in a little bit with our live chatters. Rajiv said, I love the limited pay-per-views, able to get more story in between the big shows, and that's something that you know Eric is always very critical of. Uh, Rajiv also a top guy on Patreon. Point, give him that extra shout-out. Love that. James says Raw sucked and SmackDown sucked. I guess he didn't enjoy either one, but he is also not looking forward to next week's puppy match. What is that? A puppy battle royal on AEW, right? Have you guys seen the promo for this? I saw I this have. promo. But have you I've... seen it, Chrissy, Miss Dog Lover? I watched it a couple times. This is okay. very hard-hitting stuff. I cannot wait. This is genius. The puppy bowl has been huge for the NFL and the Super Bowl for years. How did so- is just someone just figuring this out now? Like puppy battle royal, I am there. My how wonder, do I get, how do I get the gig announcing that match? You know, I'll text around. Uh, my <laughs> wonder is, I think I think you're competing with a Pomeranian. Um, my wonder, <sighs> my wonder I mean, is that that ad that, that ad that kind of stirred us up. Are they running that ad against SVU at a time slot they don't normally advertise wrestling at all? Like I think if you're really going to take your shot with this, you should really take your shot with this and run an ad on MSNBC or CNN or Fox News and say, come watch the puppies. Like yeah. if you, I really think there's something here with a really strong mainstream strategy that if you say in, at the end of our first hour, there will be puppies and tell the people who've never watched your show, tune in for the puppies and then try to lead them into George, what match should it lead into to kind of, I think maybe that FTR match. I don't know. Like something that you could like linchpin a mainstream audience into to try to see how many of them you could keep for the whole hour. Orange Cassidy versus Jericho. I would say not that match. Personally, I would want them to at least understand the generalities of pro wrestling in the match that they watch first. And then hopefully they they're down with your product enough to but see do, what's different do, about Orange Cassidy versus Chris Jericho. But you do know that, like, people don't watch wrestling for the wrestling. Like, if that was the case, then Ring of Honor would be the number one show. You got to have somebody like an Orange Cassidy that, once you get it, it's genius. <clears throat> so why not expose people to that Orange Cassidy-type character where people say, oh, you know what? I dig it. I get it. I love it. I think you're 
I think you're overestimating how many regular viewers would see that in an orange. How many first-time viewers would see Orange Cassidy and be like, "I get it." I wor- I worry that that numbers because half of the wrestling fans don't get it. But I think that more people would be drawn to that than seeing FTR versus you know Butcher and the Blade because that's like again, yeah, wrestling's great. I'm not I'm not t- taking anything away, but you're acting as if like, oh, people are going to watch wrestling for the wrestling. Like, I'm not saying that. I'm just. Oh yeah, some, but yeah. I'm saying like you look at the Attitude Era, which had the highest rear ratings. It's like, what was the best match of the Attitude Era? They all kind of suck, to be honest <laughs> with you. Like not none. Like Attitude Era matches on Raw or Smack or Raw at that time because there was a Smack until '99. Like there were no great matches on Raw. It wasn't until like the pay per views, but there were no great matches in the Attitude Era. There really weren't. That's fair. Wow, but... that is a, a bold statement from G Herm. I. I love how I spun off. I have no idea what their marketing strategy is with the Puppy Battle Royal, but now, now I need to text around and make sure they're running spots. They're running spots on non-traditional outlets to try to get well, try to get casual viewers into the Puppy Battle Royal. If, if they're not promoting on that dog channel that always offers free trials or free weekends, I'd be very upset. Yeah, but dog TV isn't for humans. Dog TV is for dogs. Do you watch it? No, because I don't pay for that channel. Okay. <laughs> I don't a, have the package. Pluto TV has a free dog channel. I'll send it to you. <laughs> Good to know. Well, what I'm most curious about is if our fearless leader, Eric Bischoff, will be tuning in because we know he's a dog lover as well. Is that going to be the hook that finally gets him back tuned in? We will have to ask him next week. In the meantime, guys, there was a lot to discuss uh, about the Great American Bash 97 as well. We're going to get back in our way back machine, as Conrad says, and uh, go back to 1997. I mentioned a little bit before, a lot of talk about stooges and how things got to the dirt sheets and who they were coming from. And I think as you kind of just explained, George, it's so obvious when that happens and and where it's coming from, right? Mm -hmm. I know other people don't consume as much dirt sheet media as I do. Mm -hmm. I mean, I try to stay away just because it can get so frustrating. And again, but but it's like, I get it. I get it. It's a business. Like you're going to want to do something to to try to get people to come in and you're not going to do that by reporting the boring stuff. You're going to try to, maybe it's not entirely false news, but you're going to try to sit there and try to grab this small nugget of information and see just how wide you can stretch it out to, again, to sell subscriptions. Nothing wrong with that business plan, but it just, it is what it is. I recognize it for what it is. And you kind of just can't blame them, right? Like if they're able to get some kind of information from the outside, as a journalist, you can say, and George, you call out Dave Meltzer for this all the time, you know, my source says backstage, it's almost like you're sort of shirking the responsibility and you can be like, yeah, Terry Taylor said he was in charge of the pay-per-view. And, and, I, and I wanted to, and I wanted cause I know Steve wanted to talk about it a little bit. Um, when, when they were saying that Hugh Morris being part of public enemy, like I can already see like the conversation backstage was like, Hey, so what do you guys think about uh, Hugh Morris? No, 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 thanks. But then, the conversation could be as simple as that, but of course the reporters are going to be like, oh, well, rumors have it that, you know, uh, Hugh Morris was being considered for public enemy. There, nobody's lying about it, but again, the way you report it, you're implying it as if, you know, there's a, there's been conference calls, there's <clears> been <throat> meetings, you know, you know, there was a big strategy behind it. It's like, no, like it's m- much as simple as like a three second conversation. And well, I think the problem is the difference between, the difference between Hulk Hogan being the third man and Hugh Morris being the public enemy, the sentence is the exact same. Mm-hmm. Is 
I'm hearing they're considering Hugh Morris to join the public enemy. I'm hearing they're considering Hulk Hogan to join the NWO. Those are the same exact sentence from the same exact person. Mm -hmm. And because he doesn't give up his sources or any real detail, there's never always an ability to show the likelihood or the severity of which what they're reporting is. Because Eric himself, who would have known by 97, was like, I never heard of that. And like, I don't think he said it, but in my mind, I was like, I could see, I could see that. Because I think someone like Hugh Morris is more what WCW wants out of a performer and a contractor, whereas the public enemy as an act were something that people really, really took to. That someone like Hugh Morris could have actually anchored that whole act and given them a bit more life than they had in WCW. Because I think he would have been able to work a match. He had a more stable, um, we'll call it road life. That the like he could have anchored the public enemy and actually made them go further in WCW. That's my take. I just pulled up. I expected George to disagree with you in some way, shape, or form. No, I mean it's fine. Again, it's just one of those where <laughs> the news is, it, it was what it was. I mean, you know, when it was when it was mentioned on the show, and especially now that Steve mentioned it, I'm like, yeah, like it wasn't. It wouldn't have been a bad thing. Like, and I'll still go on record and say, like, I think the Hawk Animal Draw storyline WWF was totally dropped. I think that had lots of legs. But I don't know. I'm just a big sucker for a three-man team, to be honest with you. I'm a big fan of, like, true six-man wrestling. Um, so I, I would have enjoyed something where Hugh Morris maybe would have been, na 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 Well, let's talk a little bit about Bobby Heenan, because I'm hoping you can help us out with this one here, Mr. Encyclopedia of Sports Entertainment. They talked a little bit about Bobby not being in his prime during this time, 1997. What was going on with Bobby Heenan? I think uh, just because of the bath, and he said this before, so I'm not not really guessing. I'm I'm literally just repeating what Bobby Heenan said. Uh, Because of the environment that WCW kind of ran, I'm like happy that so-and-so isn't here. Uh, you know, they would kind of describe it as a little toxic. Someone saying like, you don't know what's going on. It was so disorganized as opposed to WWF where Eric worked at the time where it's easy to love the business because of the environment. But now you're, you're brought into this environment where it's a little bit of everywhere. He'll, he'll be in the first, Bobby Heenan would have been the first to say that. He was just there for the paycheck. Shows up, clock in and clock out. Dude, I'm going home. So I, I think a lot of that kind of showed because when the passion is sucked out of you and you're just there for the paycheck, it might show up on screen. And in this case, it kind of did. Like we definitely, when we think of Bobby Heaton at his greatest, especially on commentating on the commentator table, nobody ever brings up WCW maybe in the beginning, but definitely not in the mid nineties. Um, I will say Bobby Heaton, even at some of his not greatest is still pretty good. Yeah. And I, I'll also say that I've, I've felt there's always been a power in the employee that doesn't actually care. Because they show you what, because they can show you what's actually resonating and how you're actually leading and motivating. If somebody, if somebody who shows up and could give an F, cares about an initiative you put forward, that's how you know that initiative's working. Because you reached him. It, I thought Christy was going to say more. And I was like, no, no, you, but you reach the person who could care less. That that's how you know you're really leading people. Yeah, and you know what? I think maybe having that kind of an attitude at WWE would be something they don't see very often. And also that kind of takes their power away. You know what I mean? Like, you're just you then. And if you don't care, I mean, wow, that, um, that seems powerful. 
I like that. And especially in I, WCW, where, and Eric has said this many times, is they weren't really known for firing people, at least not in that time. So knowing that you had that job security of just doing whatever the hell you wanted, because that would have never flied in, in WWF. Like, mm-hmm. I mean, they'll fire people even during a corona, even while you yeah. just had a baby. Like, they'll fire you, <laughs> you know? Um, so I don't know. I, I think part of that is like just kind of goes into maybe his company. Work. Well, in company like, culture. I think actually, I think we stumbled upon a, a certain thing where WC, how WCW ran things was very much uh, we value our people enough that no one will ever fear being fired for arbitrary reasons day to day, which I think is a good way to go. Whereas WWE, even now, I think you could have I could have a ten million dollar performer contract with WWE tomorrow, but they'd still renegotiate. They could still fire me every ninetieth day. So I essentially have a 90-day contract divided by $10 million. And so everyone, whether it's John Cena or Roman Reigns, all the way down to Drake Maverick, everyone has that contract. So when it comes to motivation, they have a very um, stick versus carrot approach. Mm-hmm. And, well, I, and I think thing, it's just company culture. With WW, or with WCW not firing people, remember they went through kind of a sticky period of time where they were dealing with a lot of lawsuits. And, you know, I think maybe they were afraid to fire people because they weren't as legally protected as, of course, like someone like the WWE is right now. Yeah. I also think being a wrestling TV show and promotion owned by a a TV conglomerate made for a lot of things that I think even Eric himself would have preferred to be able to do, that he had to report to an HR person or a president or this or that instead Mm -hmm. of, hey, this is what I like like it or hate it Vince what Vince does what Vince says goes top from the top all the way down and I think it's a matter of company culture and a matter of the difference that if you were in WC if you were in WWF in 1997 you knew know in your head next month's pay-per-view your spot is not guaranteed mm-hmm. and that creates a different kind of work I would argue somewhere in the middle is where you want to be that you want yeah. people to you want people to feel like there are consequences for poor performance, but you also want them to feel those consequences aren't be unable to feed your family in two months. Right. Right. Man, that's heavy stuff. Well, uh, before we pivot a little bit and jump into the actual pay-per-view, I do have a question for our live chatters. I'm curious to know if you guys go back and actually fire up the WWE network or that new impact app and watch the pay-per-view that Conrad and Eric are talking about. I'm really curious. I know a lot of the matches are, are usually classics and we think we remember and then you watch it back and you go, Oh my gosh, I completely forgot about that. I know you guys, Stephen George, when you have time, definitely sit down and watch it back. But I really want to know if, everybody who's tuned in uh maurice james bobby uh, the worst wrestling fan oh man tons of you guys hanging out let me know if you went back and fired up the great american bash 97 and what your thoughts were guys what stood out to you when you uh revisit this one just overall i i think 97 is just flat out especially in the summer one of the funnest time periods to be a wrestling fan so just watching like watching this in 97 or watching it back now just just give me such like great memories of being a fan because like wwf was like on fire on fire and wcw can really do no wrong and i was going to uh, talk about the next night on nitro because you know as mentioned at the end of the show the next night was in chicago and the bulls just won four days previously so just everybody was on a high like you know molina illinois and great american bash like, they were on a high just it was just great 
time to be a fan. So nothing really stood out overall. I mean, I'd probably say the best match was probably like, um, like a woman just say. Uh, I, I like the main event a the, lot. The I opener, the right? Well, the opener too, but I did oh. like the main event as well, just because like, just because I always think about this time in WCW where um, they had probably the best roster ever, and you can really do no wrong. So I, 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 I enjoy the last two matches. Savage GDP. I love I love the storyline behind it. I love the history. That to me always stood out. Uh, for me, Ultimate Dragon Psychosis immediately stood out. And I do think there's something to be said about people who are searching for Great American Bash 1997 in the WWE app. When they click the button, the first thing they're going to watch is that match. That I think the watchability on matches on that network are probably super high on a match that comes on first versus a match that kind of gets mentioned but then winds up in the middle. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't have a lot of nostalgia for WCW in 1997. So watching this one back, I, I had, I don't want to say a hypercritical view, but a just critical view. And I don't think that's a great way to approach an, a lot of wrestling. <laughs> like, a, like a critical view of just like, because I was like, oh, I'm expected to have something to say later this week. And that's, I don't know, I, I've been dealing with that a lot this week of like, how do I just watch wrestling again? Somebody help me. How do I watch wrestling well, just no, it's so, it's so uh, funny you uh, say uh, that. Go ahead. But I'm saying some of the magic of WCW was putting on that match that started off as like because you knew you were going to get that work rate from a Hogan or a Savage or DDP or Flair. You might get the story, but you they were genius in putting one of those matches first. You had to have Ultimo Dragon versus Psychosis first because that hooked you in. And, and I just thought it was the perfect formula because even look at like the Slamboree the the the, the month before. He had Ultimo Dragon versus R- William Regal, like on paper. I mean, just without even watching the match back, you know that was a phenomenal match. So that was part of the magic and the genius of uh, WCW and Eric Bischoff and putting those cruiserweight slash high style work rate guys on first. You saw it on Nitro and you saw it on pay-per-views. Also, I'm going to make a bold prediction. We're going to see Ultimo Dragon William Regal in one of the next five NXT UKs because that's what they do now. It, it, it could just, happen. You just ask someone your favorite match, and then they play that match. That is what they, they do British now. Bulldog. They the yeah, like. Well, since you guys are talking about Ultimo Dragon anyway, not not to cut you off, uh, but they talked about him on this episode. It sounded like Conrad was asking Eric why he didn't think Ultimo Dragon became a bigger deal, and Eric was saying, "What are you talking about?" Ultimate Dragon was a huge deal all around the world. So as people who were really tuned in back then as wrestling fans, what was your take on Ultimate Dragon? No, it's always curious when people say that because in what terms do people say like, oh, why wasn't he bigger? To, as opposed to what? Like to be a world champion or to be a United States champion? I don't know because Ray was just as big and he would never even touch the world championship. He got a world title match, but not never a, a world title, but at least not in, not so WWE. Um, I think he did perfectly fine in WCW. It was his WWE run that I think was a little bit more promising. Um, but I heard from what I remember, it was injuries and maybe he spoke English, but not that well, like a Rey Mysterio that I always thought I held that held him back. Um, wrestling and wrestling fandom is one of the few things where I'm trying to think of the best analogy. And I think the best analogy is college football versus the NFL. If you, once an NFL season is over, there's one city and supporters of one city's team. That's super excited. because they won the whole thing and everybody else is upset. So that's 31 teams 
lost one team won. College football, there are way more teams and multiple winners. There are like a hundred bowl games. There are like a thousand college football teams and a hundred bowl games. So at the end of the year, like as a Temple grad, Temp- Temple University out of Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, they could win a bowl game. And I'd be like, we want, they could win all their games and a bowl game and be like, we won. We're the greatest team in football. And then you would watch a national bigger bowl game and Alabama would win that. To parlay it back to this, wrestling's the only thing comparable where you can see Ultimo Dragon, be excited to see Ultimo Dragon, but then be upset that he's lower on the card or not winning against the guy you think he should win against. Or like, it's one of those things where you don't just get to be, like, think of any other TV show you watch. There are some characters that just come on and you're excited to see them and excited to see what they do with them. And then that's the exchange. Whereas in wrestling, because it's presented in a standings and a, and a bracket format, you're very much left to be like, I like Ultimo Dragon. He's my favorite. And then three weeks later, you're like, I hate this show because they're not having Ultimo Dragon win against the people I think he should win against in the, t- in the time of day I think he should win. It's, it's a really peculiar way we watch the show, myself included, that I that – with Ultimate Dragon, people are like, ah, oh, I think he's a disappointment. If you were to ask Eric Bischoff, he's like, he wins. He has great matches. I pay him a bunch of money. What else do you want? Like, what else do you guys want from yeah, Ultimate Dragon? Like, I, I've always been curious about that take because, like, again, like, like, like you said, like I mentioned, it's like, what more did people want? Like, you can't have 50 guys in the main event scene. You can't have 50 guys battling for the WWE or world title, world title every single week. Like, you can only have, like, a handful so it's like if everybody always got like, oh, this guy is the best. It should be Ultimo, Ultimo Dragon, Jericho, Malenko, uh, Raven. Oh, those guys should be in the main event. Okay, but then what about like Hogan and Savage and Piper? Like you can't have all these guys in the main event. And I'm sure that's why it probably is a lot harder to be a booker or a promoter because you have to balance everybody. But at the same time, what more did we want to see from Ultimo Dragon? We saw fantastic matches every week. He is a former TV champion and a cruiserweight champion. Like, what more do we want from a great wrestler? We're watching him wrestle fantastically. What more do we want? I'd also, to that credit, like, do do you want to see him lose to Hulk Hogan in forty seconds? Like, it's I not think- even that. It's like well, let's let's say let's say Ultimo Dragon beats Hulk Hogan in forty seconds. Now business goes down the drain. Now we're going to see our favorite wrestler like show that he was a failure but just you guys i think acknowledging that they would never put him in a high profile match with hulk hogan sort of like proves the issue right Mm -hmm. i think and i think pardon my pun it speaks to a certain psychosis among wrestling fans i nailed it i'm nailing it today I like it. I like it. Well, let's check back in with some of those wrestling fans. Uh, Charlene said that she didn't pull up the pay-per-view and watch it this time around, but she has for previous episodes. So WWE Network, you can thank Eric Bischoff for your increased ratings. Michael Mackey said everyone needs to watch because Eric fires back so awesome. And uh, oh, no, that was Barlow said he saw it and it was cool, but he was at the Bash of the Beach in San Diego when it was actually going down, which is Michael. Cool. Michael Mackey was bringing up something that's on ad free shows right now called Eric fires back where Conrad Thompson finds old shoot tapes where people talk about Eric Bischoff and then Eric Bischoff pretty much listens as much as he can and then says, okay, stop. And just berates. (laughs) Yes. They teased it on the podcast this week. I haven't had a chance to listen yet. It sounds like you have Steve. Is it as good as we would hope? It's better. It's, I don't want to say it's exact. I, I heard Conrad pitch this and I went, 
and in my I, in my head, I knew what I had, and then it was exactly that. Mm-hmm. Where I knew for a fact, like, oh, this is gonna be good, and I may or may not have sent Conrad some links. Oh, have, he's stirring the pot behind the scenes. We think he's just a digital producer, but he's uh, writing the script over there. Well, I also listen to a lot of the ad free shows content, and uh, yeah, <laughs> if I'm gonna be, if I'm the listener, if I'm the listener, I'm I'm gonna send some links. I love that. I'm wondering if Conrad will be adding that same sort of format to any of his other hosts' sort of repertoire. I don't know that there are as many people that folks have been outspoken about as Eric, right? Or who I think else Eric, would that work with? Eric is the top of that list for sure. I don't, I don't think people have as many bad things to say about Jim Ross, nor do I think Jim Ross would fire back in quite the succinct way that Eric Bischoff does. I think this is this format is very unique to Eric Bischoff specifically. And plus, I think that uh, God, thank God he's not here. I think he's, <laughs> a, I think he's the less busiest of Conrad's co-hosts. Less of he's the more available would be the other yeah, way to say it. More, more available. <laughs> he's not. And, wow. and travel, Even and, when he's not here, you just gotta get something in there, huh, G. Herm? George yeah. isn't saying he doesn't work. He's just saying he doesn't leave his house as money as much. Like that, that's um, Jim Ross, Teddy Shivani, Arn Anderson. Look. I get plenty done in this. No, 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 house. not you. <laughs> Great movie, by the way. Look who's talking. Just throwing it out there. <laughs> Love that. Well, let's talk for a minute about Dusty Finishes because, of course, he is the brainchild behind a lot of these classic pay-per-views. There's been a lot of chit-chat about that. Uh, Cody has kind of come out and revealed his feelings about WWE using Dusty's old pay-per-views and it doesn't seem to be too much of a skin off his nose, but his sister feels differently, apparently. Uh, right? She wants to get paid. Uh, oh, Dusty Finishes is where we yes. are going with this. Eric talked on this episode about hiring Johnny Ace, uh, stepdaddy Bella, as the Bella Army refers to him, to kind of clean up WCW's finishes back in the day. Do you guys remember like noticing when that happened and ever thinking, oh man, the finishes are really getting better over there at WCW or, oh, they got Johnny Ace now. I I think uh, we're going to be able to watch a pay-per-view to the very end. Um, I don't recall. (laughs) I don't recall having a difference. I was also um, 11 years old. So take that for what it's worth. But I I mean, but you're, you're so observant, Steve. On a, no, I don't. It's you'd think I'd notice more, and I'm sure Eric does notice if he watched, especially how he did '95, '96, and then '97 mm-hmm. at the same, essentially the same month of different years, that he would notice that the finishes were different. But to the average viewer, I think, especially if you, especially if you're watching a '97 pay per view, it's more. It's like half a nostalgia view anyway. Right. So when we look back now, maybe hindsight 2020, George. Now, what would we say? I think it's in hindsight, it's easy to crap on it um, because nowadays we would never even think twice. We would just completely crap on any DQ finish at a WrestleMania. But look at like the first few WrestleManias, DQ finish, count out, draws, like as if that was part of the norm. It's, it's all about what was going on at that time and being part of the norm, but being able to look back and say, okay, you know what? It wasn't that bad for its time. Now it doesn't fit in. And it can be applied for a lot of other things, not just in wrestling. At that time, it was fine. Like, for example, I think the big thing was just all the interference and all the NWO matches featuring NWO members without interference, guys. Like, okay, I get it. 
after a while, it just it did get kind of old. But yeah, we did. It was a little bit of a, of a, a breath of fresh air when, you know, the finishes were actually being done, uh, and not just DQ, DQ, count out, DQ, and whatnot. So it, it's always a breath of fresh air when we see something that we're not normally seeing on a regular basis, mm-hmm. especially on paid television. Mm-hmm. Which was always the gripe of anyone who like had to like really pay again, for the pay for the pay per view. But at the time, it was the norm. Mm. Nowadays, you see DQ finishes on a pay per view; they'll get booed out of the building. But you watch it in '89 or '90; it, it's just like a regular finish. It was just another way to finish a match, and it wasn't as bad back then because that was the norm. It, people didn't care think, that much. It was, go ahead. Do you think that was about the in the? late 80s early 90s i think that was more the frequency of big televised cards that you could get away with what you would have done in a territory every other like every other month you came to a territory every other month you could get away with not giving them a finish mm-hmm. similarly you see tv as just the biggest territory that you're like well if we come here four times a year we can't give them a finish every mm-hmm. we can't give them four finishes every year so we got to hold off on this but give them that and then hold off on that and then give them this Whereas now, if you're giving them in night, I think by 97 or 98, WCW is doing 13 pay-per-views a year. I don't think you can get away with that frequency. Yeah, I think I think that has a lot to do with it. But also at the same time, like I think na- nowadays, there's really only three finishes. Pinfall submission, the occasional DQ slash count out. Back then, there was like 10 different finishes. There was <laughs> pinfall submission, double DQ, double count out, you know, draws, whatever it is. It's just like, you just had more options back then because people weren't critical back then because that was part of the norm. Nowadays, it's like now, and that, uh, that's what always puzzles me about pro wrestling is like, if you train the, the audience to think of one certain way, can't you train them again to, you know, we all got trained to say enhancement matches are, do not belong on pay-per-views or even on Raws or SmackDowns to, you know, more than one or two, but because we got trained that way, can't you train them to think another, a different way now? I don't know. That always puzzled me on why, you know, somebody like a Bruce Pritchard or whoever uh, never even crosses that mind as far as training the audience to do whatever you want them to do. That's such a good point, George. I like that. I, I like how we talked that out. And <laughs> next week we, oh, wait, I'm sorry. The chat roll wants us to say RIP Dusty. Rest in peace, Dusty. Take a sec there. And next week we're going to be talking about Victory Road 2010. What is in store for us on Victory Road 2010. That face says it all, Steve. As I, you mean as I Google it to remember Victory Road 2010? I'm assuming George? we're going to see Hogan, um, uh, Nash, AJ. I mean, honestly, and just to be fair, like TNA, I don't think TNA was bad around this time. I remember watching every single week, excited to be watching TNA. I know that this was around the time that they were kind of teasing that hardcore justice pay-per-view we kind of saw a lot of influx of ecw guys kind of come back and it was i mean yeah they were a little bit past their prime but i mean it was still kind of fun like we saw motor city machine guns and and, and beer money go back and forth like it, it wasn't i know people think of tna negatively in some ways i don't think it was that bad many many th- times throughout the years it really wasn't bad so speaking as someone who did not see this see, did not see this card at all um looking at it the thing that like really excites me the most is match number six. It says Jay Lethal defeated Ric Flair by submission. Is that as exciting as it sounds? Or probably I mean, not. I'm intrigued. But the, I'm intrigued but, by but, that but, sentence. But again, also this like I mentioned earlier, nobody remembers a thing about that. Uh, nobody remembers a thing about that match. What does everybody remember about Jay Lethal and Ric Flair? 
the woo-off. The woo-off. Nobody cares about the match. Now, that woo-off got people to care about the match, but now that the match actually happened, it's been 10 years, I guarantee you that 99% of the audience does not remember a single thing about that match. I'm going to watch that match tonight, and if it's good, I'm going to start a, a week-long campaign to get people to care about that physical match, bell-to-bell match. Oh my God, I love it. It sounds like we are going to have a lot to discuss next week. And of course, Eric Bischoff will be joining us to answer all of your questions. So if you had some from this week, save them. And we are clearly going to have a lot for him next week as well. Guys, where can everybody, you know, hit you up during the week if they want to tell you what was so great about Victory Road 2010, Steve? Uh, They can find me on Twitter almost exclusively at Steve Kaufman. That is K-A-U-F. M-A-N-N, I am heavily involved in the pro wrestling YouTube space, including the channel you're watching me on right now. That's youtube.com slash 83 weeks. Um, if, I, if, if I make some money moves like I think I'm about to make, I'll be tweeting about them next week. And you can follow me, congrats. You can follow me at G-Hermos, G-H-E-R-M-O-Z-A. No need to tweet me about the, spoke, the broken smoke detector. <laughs> I have a working one off view, so I'm all good. I, I was very concerned, to be honest with you, George. Thank you for clearing that up. You guys can always hit me up at Christy Reports and Ring Breaking News is coming next week to the Christy Reports YouTube channel. So please subscribe. I want to thank all of our live viewers who were telling me they were giving me love there. Thank you guys so much for joining us. You made this fun. You were our perfect fourth host for tonight. So make sure if you can, please join us live on Thursdays at 5 p.m. right here on the 83 Weeks channel. And we will see you next week along with Eric for Victory Road 2010. Take care, guys. Happy 4th of July. Ditto. Our founder, Kevin Undergaro, and me, Maria Menunos, would like to thank you for tuning in to AfterBuzz TV. Remember, we're not just the first, we're the biggest in the world, and we're the only destination for all your favorite TV shows. Whatever you crave, we've got it. So go to AfterBuzzTV.com and check out our lineup. Buzz you later. <laughs> The views expressed herein are those of the hosts only and do not necessarily reflect the views of AfterBuzz TV or its owners or principal.